day and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the ASML 2023 second quarter financial results conference call on July 19th, 2023. At this time, all participants are in the listen only mode. After the speaker's introduction, there'll be a question and to ask a question during the session, you will need to press star one and one on your telephone. You will then hear an automated message advising your hand is raised. To withdraw your question, please press star one and one again. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. I would now like to hand the conference call over to Mr. Skip Miller. Please go ahead. Thank you, operator. Welcome, everyone. This is Skip Miller, Vice President of Investor Relations at ASML. Joining me today on the call are ASML CEO, Peter Winnick, and our CFO, Roger Dawson. The subject of today's call is ASML's 2023 second quarter results. The length of this call will be 60 minutes and questions will be taken in the order that they are received. The call is also being broadcast live over the internet at asml.com. A transcript of management's opening remarks and a replay of the call will be available on our website shortly following the conclusion of this call. Before we begin, I'd like to caution listeners that comments made by management during this conference call will include forward-looking statements within the meaning of the federal securities laws. These forward-looking statements involve material risks and uncertainties. For a discussion of risk factors, I encourage you to review the safe harbor statement contained in today's press release and presentation found on our website at asml.com and in ASML's annual report on Form 20F and other documents as filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. With that, I would like to turn the call over to Peter Winnick for a brief introduction. Thank you, Skip. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us for our second quarter 2023 results conference call. Uh, before we begin the uh, Q&A session, Roger and I would like to provide an overview and some commentary on the second quarter 2023, as well as provide our view on the coming quarters. And Roger will start with a review of our second quarter 2023 financial performance with added comments on our short-term outlook. And I will complete the introduction with some additional comments on the current business environment and on our future business outlook. Roger? Thank you, Peter, and welcome, everyone. I will first review the second quarter financial accomplishments and then provide guidance on the third quarter of 2023. Let me start with our second quarter accomplishments. Net sales come in at 6.9 billion euros, which is at the high end of our guidance. We shipped 13 EV systems and recognized 2 billion euros revenue from 12 systems this quarter. Net system sales of 5.6 billion euros, which was mainly driven by logic at 84%, with the remaining 16% coming from memory. The net sales value of our fast shipments not yet recognized in revenue in the first half of 2023 amounts to 1.4 billion euros. Install-based management sales for the quarter came in at 1.3 billion euros as guided. Gross margin for the quarter came in at 51.3%, which is above our guidance, primarily driven by additional DPV immersion revenue in the quarter, partly related to starting revenue recognition upon shipment for immersion systems that are fast shipped. On operating expenses, R&D expenses came in at 1 billion euros and FG&A expenses came in at 281 million euros, both basically as guided. 
Net income in Q2 was 1.9 billion euros, representing 28.1% of net sales and resulting in an EPS of 4.93 euros. Turning to the balance sheet, we ended the second quarter with cash, cash equivalents, and short-term investments at a level of 6.3 billion euros. Moving to the order book, Q2 net system bookings came in at 4.5 billion euros, which is made up of 1.6 billion euros for EUV bookings and 2.9 billion euros for non-EUV bookings. These values also include inflation corrections. Net system bookings in the quarter were driven by logic with 69% of the bookings, while memory accounted for the remaining 31%. At the end of Q2, we have around 38 billion euros in our backlog. With that, I would like to turn to our expectations for the third quarter of 2023. We expect Q3 net sales to be between 6.5 billion euros and 7 billion euros. We expect our Q3 install-based management sales to be around 1.4 billion euros. Gross margin for Q3 is expected to be around 50%, a little below last quarter due to DPV mix. The expected R&D expenses for Q3 are around 1 billion euros and FG&A is expected to be around 285 million euros. Our estimated 2023 annualized effective tax rate is expected to be between 15% and 16%. An interim dividend of 1.45 euros per ordinary share will be made payable on August 10, 2023. In Q2, 2023, we purchased around 0.8 million shares for a total amount of around 500 million euros. As mentioned last quarter, in the current environment, we expect to see ongoing pressure on our free cash flow. As a result, we will be prudent in managing our cash flows and maintaining relatively higher levels of cash. With that, I would like to turn the call back over to Peter. Thank you, Roger. As Roger has highlighted, uh, another salt water in a dynamic environment. Um, significant uncertainty remains in the market due to a number of global macro concerns around inflation, rising interest rates, recession, and the geopolitical environment, including export controls. Although certain net markets seem to be reaching the bottom of the cycle, the semiconductor industry is running at very high inventory levels, leading customers to moderate waiver output as the supply chain works to reduce and rebalance inventory levels. In order to limit waiver output, customers continue to run at lower lethal tool utilization levels. Customers remain cautious due to the uncertainty around the timing, the shape, and the slope of the recovery. We had an increase in bookings this quarter, resulting in a backlog of around 38 billion euros exiting the second quarter. In our EUV business, we have seen some shifts in demand timing. The majority of the shifts are due to fab readiness, with some elements of uncertainty around recovery. DPV demand still exceeds supply. While we have seen delays in DPV demand from some customers, it has been compensated by strong demand for tools at mature and mid-critical nodes, particularly in China. The demand fill rate for our Chinese customers over the last two years was significantly less than 50%, so they now take the opportunity to receive and install systems in their fabs as the supply of tools becomes available. Turning to our business, starting with EPV, we're now planning to ship more than 375 DPV systems with a mix of over 25% immersion. For immersion systems using the fast shipment process, we have come to an agreement with customers on a reduced acceptance test procedure that allows revenue recognition on shipment. As a result, 
We now expect additional revenue of around 700 million euros in 2023, and this in turn reduces the amount of delayed revenue out of the year, and we now expect around 2.3 billion euros of delayed revenue from 2023 into 2024 versus around 3 billion euros of delayed revenue as previously communicated. This incremental DPU revenue increases the expected year-over-year growth of our non-EUV business from around 30% as communicated last quarter to around 50%. In EUV, due primarily to customer adjustments in timing, in the demand timing, related to delays in fab readiness as well as some remaining supply chain issues, we now expect to ship around 52 systems this year, translating to a year-over-year revenue growth for EUV of around 25% versus a previously communicated expectation of around 40%. For the installed base business, with the current utilization rates, market uncertainty, as well as timing of recovery, customers are uh, delaying productivity and performance upgrades on their litho, on, on the litho systems. Therefore, we now expect our installed base business this year to be similar to last year, versus a growth of around 5% as previously communicated. In summary, based on our view today, with, a, with higher DPV revenue, offset somewhat by lower expectations on our EUV and installed base business relative to, to uh, last quarter, we now expect net sales growth for the year to move towards 30% versus a previously articulated expectation of over 25%. We still expect a slight improvement in gross margin compared to 2022. No change relative to what we said last quarter, as the positive margin impact from increased DPV immersion revenue is expected to be offset by the dilutive impact of lower upgrade revenue in 2023. On the geopolitical front, as it relates to export control, the final Dutch regulations that were published at the end of last month are basically aligned to our expectations communicated last quarter and published on our website. Due to these export control regulations, ASML will need to apply for export license with the Dutch government for all shipments of its most advanced immersion deep UV lithography system, which means the TwinScan NXT2000i and subsequent immersion systems. As a reminder, sales of ASML's EUV tools have already been restricted, and the business in China is predominantly, is, uh, predominantly focused on mature and mid-critical nodes. The new Dutch export regulations will come into effect on September 1st, 2023. There were also some reports in the media recently about additional U.S. export controls. Of course, we will and cannot respond to speculation. However, based on our current understanding, we do not expect to change our previously communicated view. Therefore, based on everything we have been made aware of as of today, we do not expect the Dutch and potential additional U.S. measures to have a material impact on our financial outlook for 2023, nor on our longer-term scenarios as communicated during our Investor Day in November last year. Looking towards next year, our customers across different market segments are currently more cautious due to the continued macroeconomic uncertainties. Based on our view last quarter, customers were expecting a recovery in the second half of this year, but it now seems that this is moving towards more towards 2024. Also, the shape and slope of the recovery remains unclear. However, based on a combination of the current firm demand and a strong backlog of around 38 billion euros, there are clearly still opportunities for growth in 2024. But given the mentioned uncertainties, it's too early to be specific about the forecast for next year. 
We will continue to follow the market developments and update you on our view of next year in the coming quarters. Despite the near-term uncertainty, the longer-term megatrends we talked about at our Invest Today are broadening the application space and fueling demand for advanced and mature nodes. Secular growth drivers in semiconductor end markets such as electrification and AI, along with increasing lithography intensity on future technology nodes, are driving demand for our products and services. In summary, while the current macro environment continues to create significant uncertainty, we are working through a strong backlog and expect growth this year towards 30%. In the near to medium term, customers remain cautious as they moderate wafer output to help lower inventory levels in the supply chain and to look to build confidence around the timing and the slope of the recovery. ASML and its supply chain partners are still actively adding and improving capacity to meet future customer demand as we remain confident in our long-term growth opportunity. And with that, we would be happy to take your questions. Thank you, Roger and Peter. The operator will instruct you momentarily on the protocol for the Q&A session. Beforehand, I would like to ask that you kindly limit yourself to one question with one short follow-up if necessary. This will allow us to get it to as many callers as possible. Now, operator, could we have your final instructions and then the first question, please? Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 and 1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. To withdraw your question, please press star 1 and 1 again. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. The first question comes from the line of Chris Sanker from TD Cowan. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi, thanks for taking my question. I had two of them. Peter, I understand you don't want to give an outlook for next year, uh, and I'm not looking for a revenue guidance, but if I look at from a unit standpoint or system shipment standpoint, do you think deep UV and EUV units would grow in calendar 24 hours to calendar 23? Um, well, if I would know this, then I would probably give you some outlook on 2024, but um, I just refer back to what we call the firm demand from our customers, which and the, the strong backlog. Uh, and of course, as you understand, our full 2024 year is not fully covered by POs, so still POs need to uh, come in. But we do have firm uh, you know, demand. Now, th that is a demand that for 2024, you cannot decouple from the, uh, the outlook on 2025. And 2025 clearly shows the opening and the first ramp of some significant advanced fabs in the logic space, for instance, the two nanometer fabs, uh, three nanometer uh, for the, both the all three leading customers. Um, that, of course, leads to the firm uh, demand in uh, what we currently see. Um, and that means we see significant opportunities also, like we said, certainly, for growth in uh, 2024. However, we also need to uh, realize that the uncertainties as it relates to macroeconomic developments and, and particularly I think the slope of the recovery. I think we will very likely, as, as uh, many analysts believe, but also customers say, we will probably uh, see, let's say, the thrust of this down cycle somewhere this year, and then we see a recovery coming. But it's all about the slope of the recovery. And that's driven really by the macroeconomic uncertainty. So the extent to which they're going to add more capacity in 2024 due to, let's say, the macroeconomic situation, that's the uncertainty. 
I think in 2024, there's higher level of uh, certainty of those fabs that will take those machines because they need to ramp in 2025 the, the next nodes. That's pretty certain. Yeah? But it's that uncertainty on the macroeconomic uh, you know, demand that makes us a bit more uncomfortable to give you some specific guidance on uh, you know, next year. So in a summary, the order book looks good. The firm demand looks good. But I'd love to see all of that being translated into orders over the next couple of quarters. So this is why we also said we're going to follow this very closely, and we're going to keep you abreast of what we're seeing and what our customers are telling us in the next one or two quarters to come. Got it. Okay, Christian. And I know I didn't give you a specific answer, but I hope it was specific enough. Yes, uh, thanks for taking my question. Uh, Peter, I understand you don't have a clear picture on 24 outlook, but how are you adjusting your own capacity? Can you give us an update how we should think about DUV and EUV capacity into 24 and have a follow-up? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, this is also what, what we're, of course, internally discussing, but <clears throat> what we, the capacity 2024 is really a function of what we need in 2025. And, 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 and the good thing about 2025 is when we look at the number of FAB openings and, the, and, the, and the, the, the ramp profile of new FABs in 2025 across our customer base, which also includes memory, yeah, leads us to believe that we should be very careful in reducing our capacity in 2024. Because if you do that, you know, you won't be able to ship in 2025, given the fact that our lead times in the supply chain you know, are ranging from 12 to 15 to 18 months. So uh, this means um, we will, at this moment in time, we don't see any reason to reduce any capacity uh, uh, plans for 2024. Um, uh, because, and that's basically driven by our views on the 2025 timeframe. So uh, I don't expect uh, any adjustments there, and we're not planning for it. But perhaps the question has to do with the slope of the capacity ramp like on DUV going from 375 to 600. That requires significant ramp, and I'm just wondering if the ramp would look more like a step function in the latter part of 24 as you prepare for 25. Well, I mean, it's a, it, you talk, it's a difference between the ramp and the capacity. Yeah, I mean, the capacity is 600 units, but that's about 25% immersion. That's you could call expensive capacity, and the 75% is dry, which is less expensive capacity. We're just going to do that, yeah, because we are currently this year plan to ship more than 375 systems. And I also feel that when we look at the firm demand, of course, for DPV we don't have all those orders, but the firm demand, then we actually need more capacity next year. So it's 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 going to be. Now, capacity are step functions. It is, it is not like a gradual function. So it means if we want to have 600 units by 2025, 2026, that somewhere by the end of 2024, in 2025, we need to have that step capacity built in the supply chain. Now, where are we going to put all the orders in? That's dependent on the demand. Yeah? But I think what we're putting in for 2025, 2026 is there for the remainder of this decade. So we need to do this anyway because we are strongly convinced, as I said in the prepared remarks, that the long-term view that we have of this market is still very much, in, you know, very much intact. So you have to distinguish between 
a ramp as a result, as, as you know, as a result of the market demand, and the capacity ramp, because the capacity ramp is a step function and, is, and serves the purpose for the longer term. And my follow has to do with technology migration, especially on EUV. Uh, NXE 3800E is supposed to be a platform upgrade which carries a higher ASP. And it's my understanding that that platform could be used for both 3 and 2 nanometer. Where are we with booking for those systems? And would that ASP uplift would provide you something as a cushion against um, a challenging macro environment? Yeah, in, in, in terms of bookings, of course, the bookings for the 3800 are are coming in uh, because uh, if you look at uh, if you look at next year, next year is going to going to show you a good blend of uh, 3600 and 3800 tools. So obviously, uh, you know, quite quite some of the bookings for EUV Medi that are currently uh, coming in uh, are are also for the uh, for, for the 3800. Um, the 3800. We, we promise you that on this call we would uh, we would disclose the the ASP and the ASP is, is at least no, as at least uh, north north of uh, of 200 uh, 200 million euros. Uh, so that you know that that is a clear indication, I think, of uh, of how that indeed will also help in terms of uh, in terms of revenue. It will also help in terms of uh, in terms of gross margin ultimately, because even though it's a more expensive machine to make, because bear in mind there are. You know there are commonality. There is you know quite some commonality in parts between a high and a tool and the 3800 tool. It's a more expensive tool to make, but you know it's also a very healthy uptick in terms of uh, in terms of ASB. So it will help both on the on the revenue side and also on the gross margin side. Uh, you know starting in uh, starting in 24, but definitely in 25 when you know the lion's share of the tools there will be 3800s. Thank you. Thank you. We'll now go to your next question. And your next question comes from the line of Stefan Uri from ODF. Please go ahead. Yes, uh, good afternoon. Thank you for taking the question. Uh, I would like to speak about the growth margin uh, because you have said basically that despite the changes in the growth rate of different products, uh, you still see slight improvement this year, but you also confirmed uh, 54 to 56% in 2025, so that's uh, quite a, quite an improvement. Uh, what uh, does it mean about the, the ramp of uh, 2024, and can you maybe give us some, uh, some uh, color on the ingredient for the increase in the gross margin uh, until 2025? Thank you. Yeah, I think I think you heard our enthusiasm to share uh, to share numbers on 2024 um, or lack thereof. So I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, uh, the, the growth drivers for 2025 in terms of the growth margin, there's, there's a number that I think are significant there. We just talked about one important one, and that's the uh, that's the 3800. Of course, that's an important uh, driver of uh, of, uh, of of growth margin improvement, definitely also in 2025. So that that's one. The second one that I think is important in comparison to today, as, as, as you know, we are preparing, you know, both for capacity expansion on DPV and, uh, and low NA, but we're also, uh, you know, preparing significantly and putting a lot of money into, you know, getting everything ready for high NA. 
uh, you know, both the manufacturing capacity here, we're building up teams in the field, et cetera, et cetera. That currently is a significant drag uh, on our gross margin as we have it today, because all of the costs that we're that we're uh, that we're incurring to you know to prepare for that capacity uh, ramp, and for preparing for high NA uh, everywhere in the entire organization, you know, go, go straight to the uh, straight to the gross margin uh, today. That effect should be gone by 2025, because at that point in time, uh, you know, you you would hope that you're actually going to be in a position to utilize uh, at least a significant part of that. Incremental capacity that you build, and also by that time you would see meaningful numbers of high NA. So those are really important drivers of gross margin. And the only other one that I probably would give you is that is on the service side. Um, as you know, we, we see a continued improvement of the of the EUV uh, EUV service margin in particular, uh, but also on DPV. And uh, on on both, we are driving to get the service margin up. Uh, both as a result of, uh, you know, what we're doing on the revenue side, but also in, in terms of trying to further control the cost. So those are the main drivers uh, why, you know, lo looking at 2025, we believe the, uh, the scenarios that we gave you there, the 54 to 56 percent is a, is a uh, tenable and reasonable uh, aspiration for us to have. Okay, thank you. And, and the quick follow-up, if I may, is the, about the, the order book, the, the memory now represents 31% of the bookings versus 21% last quarter. Is that uh, the, the, the sign of a rebound in memory, or is it something special here? No, I think um, that's that's just where we are uh, at this moment. I mean, part of it, that's the, that's the minority, by the way, is, of course, some uh, uh, orders from uh, Chinese memory customers, but that's the minority. The, ma the majority is basically technology transitions out of the uh, uh, leading uh, memory makers, uh, they're just preparing for uh, the next node transition, which is a technology transition, which need, of course, you know, the, the, the type of machines and the type of technology that uh, Roger just talked about, like, for instance, the EUV systems, the 3800s. Uh, I mean, and so, you know, this is, uh, this, is, this is what it is. It is not, you shouldn't see this as an immediate, uh, you know, addition to uh, the memory output capacity, perhaps except... Okay. Uh, that uh, you know Chinese ones, but that's like we we all know that's mid critical to uh, mature stuff. That's not leading edge. Okay, thank you very clear. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll now take your next question. And your next question comes from the line of Sandy Deshpande from J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi. Uh, can you hear me? Very, very good. Thank you. Yeah, hi. Uh, 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 Peter, uh, one question for you. Uh, you know, I mean, you talked about the challenging macro environment at the moment. How do you see, I mean, you can see how utilization is doing at your customer base. On average, where do you see utilization is at the moment? Because that will be clearly the driver of when, you know, you, uh, the customers start to get more positive uh, in terms of uh, orders back to you in, uh, in the next few quarters. And secondly, uh, uh, in terms of China, China clearly is a very strong driver of your sales this year. Uh, I mean, when we look at utilize, I mean, when we hear the data points in the supply chain, at least in the logic companies in China, uh, utilization is as bad, if not worse, than what we are hearing in other parts in the industry. So uh, maybe uh, w uh, to try to understand how sustainable these orders from China are into next year, given that the end markets, even in China, seem to be incredibly weak at this point. 
Yeah, good. Um, basically, uh, the utilization question, uh, good, good question. We have to distinguish between memory and uh, logic. I think in memory, I don't think we see a lot of uh, bottoming out there. Yeah, it could be. You could argue it's bottoming out, but we don't see it. Kind of an inflection point. Um, in logic, though, it's very early, but we could see some of an inflection point today. Uh, but that's just over the last, you know, a short period. So see how sustainable that is. But you know, but I would, but I would, but I would think if you think about that, that's bottoming out. And you could even say, you know, we've passed an inflection point, although it's it's still early. Um, now on on China, how sustainable is it? And that's correct. I mean, you see the same utilization trends in China as we see in the rest of the world. But you have to realize that the demand in China has two elements. One, of course, it needs to fulfill the current demand. And that's what we just talked about. I mean, the current demand is, is of course, weak. But the most important point is, is, is the strategic investments. And the FAPs are being built for a purpose. Um, when you look at what's been made in China, it's made critical to mature semiconductors. And that's the sweet spot when it comes, when you look at the big mega trends, the big mega uh, uh, you know, trends uh, you know, around the globe where China is leading, as a matter of fact. When you think about electrification of mobility, think about the energy transition, the uh, uh, IoT in the industrial space, uh, the rollout of the telecommunication infrastructure, um, battery technology, that's all, that's the sweet spot of mid-critical and mature semiconductors. And that's where China, without any exception, is leading. Now, that means that the, that the Chinese industry, the customers of the semiconductor uh, you know, industry, need semiconductors of that kind. And, and I can just tell you in the discussions that we've had, the concern of, of many of our Chinese customers is that, given the increase of the geopolitical tensions, uh, they do not want to rely uh, on supply that comes out of China. So it's, it's very simple that they're going to build a significant amount of capacity in, in, in that space, in the mid-critical to mature semiconductors, to actually fuel those megatrends that where China is actually leading. So if you then look at the big home market and that desire, because of the fear that they have on the, the, the increase in geopolitical tensions, they're going to build all those fabs themselves. And that's what's happening. Those fabs will be built. There are many new fabs and new companies that actually say we're going to provide those type of semiconductors to support these mega trends where China is indeed leading. And that's what's happening today. It's not so much the current macroeconomic or the market situation that drives the demand. It's the strategic investment that you know drives the demand because it's the dependence that that, that part of the Chinese industry has on imports. Yeah? And that's and that I, I think it's yeah. very sustainable. This that's very sustainable for the next couple of years. Thank you very much. Thank you. We will now go to your next question. And your next question comes from the line of Sarah Russo from Bernstein. Please go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Great. Hello. Thanks. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I was just wondering if you could give us an update on high NA. So, 
indications are that, that customers are not delaying the tech transition. So are you still on track for first shipments to customers in 2024? And have you seen any increase in orders as you get closer to those first shipments? Yeah, I think we're, we're still on uh, track for the first shipment in, 2020, in, in uh, 2024, yes. We're, 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 we're actually, this year, we're, we're starting to ship the first module. So um, um, that's on track, and that also means for 2024. Um, yeah, I, think, I don't think they're delaying the introduction uh, at all. You're, you're absolutely right. And, yes, we are, we are still seeing orders coming in. Yeah. So um, uh, uh, both uh, is confirmative. Yeah. Um, with the point made that, uh, and I think Rocher alluded to that, that um, if there's anything on, on you know high and A, we need to make sure that the supply chain, which which of course needs to supply us with critical new technology, will actually be on time. So our main focus is on uh, the execution in the supply chain, not so much from the not so much from the demand side. It's really about execution. Great, thanks. And can we get maybe could you give us a little bit of color on on where you stand on high NA orders in the backlog? So assuming that you know you now are sort of seeing a, a good number come in, can you give us a, a sense of um, orders in the backlog and timing of those orders? Yeah, we said before uh, that uh, our customers, you know, given, given there is only a very limited number of customers for high NA, our customers really do not want us to disclose uh, d disclose uh, PO bookings on high NA. I mean, that, that's that's the situation. That's why, you know, we're not sharing those data. But, uh, you know, this uh, for quite a while now we're looking at uh, double-digit numbers in the backlog. Let, let me put it that way. And that's that's uh, quite a while back that we started to cross that uh, that level. So and it's increasing. And it's increasing. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. We will now go to your next question. And your next question comes from the line of Francois Fauvignier from UBS. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you very much. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Loud and clear. Perfect. So the first question is um, obviously uh, Peter, you were clear on 2024 uncertainty, at least in terms of units, and you will come back later with a with a clear picture. Um, and just and Roger, you started to talk about the ISP for for the EUV next year with the E model coming to to market the 3800 with, if I understand correctly, an ISP of close 20% growth um, versus the older models. Can you help us give us more color on the ISP, so something you can have maybe more visibility on into next year for EUV, so you, you, you touched upon, but also deep UV, you know, um, with all the moving parts, with China, uh, with your new models as well of um, deep UV on the market, the 2100, um, with a 20% improvement in overlay, you have inflation on top. So just how should we think about the ISP specifically, uh, you need to decide, if you like, about your Businesses, basically. Yeah, Francois. I think I was uh, I was uh, uh, quite clear. I think on the on the ASP for the 3800. So I, I said north of uh, north of, of 200 million. So I think that was clear. When it comes to ASPs in the uh, in the DPV landscape, of course, you know it's, it's very widely distributed, uh, and and there uh, obviously the mix effect is quite significant, and that is true both within the portfolio of uh, of KRF of dry tools and also in, in in wet tools. So you're absolutely right. I mean the, the the new models that we're introducing, of course, give you know, give significant value to the customer and therefore command a 
uh, a significantly higher uh, price than, uh, than than all the models. So that that is clearly the case, but it is you know completely dependent on the mix within uh, the dry business and the immersion business. Yeah, and, and also in the immersion business, you have to also realize that what I said in the in the prepared uh, remarks that we cannot ship our most advanced immersion tools to China, but we can sh ship our mid-critical immersion tools to you know. Uh, China. And that, of course, gives even in the immersion, uh, 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 you know, scope gives a quite a significant, uh, you know, spread. So it's, it's very difficult to give you one number for the deep UV numbers. It's basically too heterogeneous. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Peter, for that. And maybe uh, uh, and Roger. And the second question is on the install base management. I mean, if we look at the guidance of flat. Uh, Again, I understand that uh, the, the level of upgrade is not as, as you uh, maybe expect in the current uh, environment. If you look at the guidance of flat, it would imply decline, you know, uh, in uh, H2 year of the year at least. Um, so, you know, how should we think about, uh, you know, the level of, Peter, you mentioned um, uh, small sign of recovery. It's early days, but it's uh, small size and the fact that the Install-based management, I would imagine, would be very close to the demand in terms of recovery or utilization rates picking up. Um, you know, just uh, trying to reconcile that and how sh we should think about install-based management into next year with your EUV as well going up and uh, ISP per tool per year, I mean, business model. Let me first take the question on 23, and then maybe Peter, you want to you want to expand it further. But uh, as, as it comes to 23, I think that the right frame of reference, of course, is not half year over half year, but if it is the second half in comparison to the first half. In the first half, we had 2.7 billion, and flat would mean that we're going to have 3 billion in the second half. So that would that would point at a at a recovery. And you know, given the guidance that we've given for Q3, Q3 we indicated 1.4. So doesn't take a lot of uh, a, a lot of compute power to calculate it. That would mean 1.6 for Q4. So that that tells you that that indeed we are looking at a at a uh, at a recovery uh, there. Uh, you know that would be commensurate with you know the the perspective of the recovery that uh, that, uh, that that Peter has been talking about. But that that's what we're looking at uh, for for this uh, for this year and the slope of recovery there. Yeah, and I think the slope of recovery is critical and very important because, like I said, you know although it's very early, but you could argue. And you look at the utilization graphs. You could uh, you could think that you know there is an inflection point for logic. We've had that, and then but you know it's still pretty pretty early on. But if that would continue, then it's really important to look at the slope, because uh, for upgrade business, uh, you basically you could argue you have a relatively short period of time before you hit again high utilization, and then customers say, well I don't have the time. I don't want to shut down the tool. So I think. We will watch this very carefully together with our customers to say, okay, looking at the slope, if the slope accelerates, then we really need to start uh, uh, negotiating with the customer quickly to put in more upgrades, um, uh, and that could be an upside, you know, uh, when when the when the when the recovery accelerates, um, you know, when it's when it's a, 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 a you know slower degree slope, they'll probably take a bit more time, but that, that that's also where it. It's the same reasoning. We now have time to upgrades because, you know, we don't have a full utilization of the install base. Uh, so there is some upgrade there, but still, customers are currently saying, you know, market is not good. It's still capex because there are high-value upgrades, so they're a bit cautious now. But yeah, we have to start be, being very, very close to our customers uh, next couple of quarters to say, you know, if we see an opportunity, let's go, because before you know it, they don't have time.
Thank you very much. Thank you. We will now go to your next question. And your next question comes from the line of Alexander Petarek from Societe Generale. Please go ahead. Yes, hi. Um, thank you for taking my question. Um, I, I just have two. Uh, first one would be, um, you know, we talk about the recovery being pushed out somewhat, and you do give a, a cautious message on, on 2024. So my question is really, is there a possibility that the significant fab openings you talk about in 25 uh, could be pushed out by six months or a year? Is that something that's possible? I mean, if the customers have either capacity for longer, won't they push out capacity additions as a result? Or are all of those strategic plant openings uh, really strategic and will go ahead regardless of demand patterns? That's the first one I have a follow-up. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, uh, on this, uh, on the leading edge logic fabs, they will happen. I mean, they have, it's basically, it's not, uh, and it's, it's driven by the, the, the roadmaps of the customers of our customers. It's the, it's the Apples, the Qualcomm's, the NVIDIA's of this world that actually have a very clear, you know, roadmap based on the 20 or the 3 nanometer designs, and they want those new products to be introduced at that time. So that's going to happen. We have little doubt there. And I think on the strategic fabs in China, I made that very clear. I think, you know, it's just a strategic, uh, uh, very clear focus area that they have because, you know, they want to hedge uh, against any negative geopolitical repercussions that, that could come. So um, that's also strategic. So I see a little downside in 2025. Excellent. Thank you very much. And then uh, just a, a, a kind of a technical follow-up on, on the uh, 700 million catch-up in DQV uh, that are moving out of fast shipment. Did all of that occur in the second quarter that you reported, or is it split between the um, reported and the current quarter? And if so, in what proportions, please? And uh, while we're talking of fast shipments, um, are discussions of a similar change still on the table for EUV, uh, or is that off the table now? Thank you. So the, the 700 million is the expectation that we have for the end of the year, right? So, uh, so of course there will be a little bit of flux during the year, but the 700 million is the is the expectation that we have for that in the year. Of course, we have some of that also in this in this quarter, uh, but the 700 million really is the uh, is the expectation that uh, that we see for for the full for the full year. As it comes to EUV, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, based on the conversations that we've had with the customers. They're very happy to take, you know, the risk of the tool for, for the immersion tools upon shipment uh, and based upon a shorter testing uh, program uh, for EUV, we're, we're not there yet. So, you know, the question, uh, the question will be uh, also, you know, based on how next year is going to pan out. I think that we're going to get the question of uh, how much fast shipment are we going to see for EUV next year in comparison to, to normal shipments. I think that's the that's the primary question that we have on EUV. So if you think about, you know, the to, to what extent could we have some tailwind from uh, from, uh, from, uh, from from that in that regard, I think it will be heavily dependent on, you know, what uh, what we're going to do in terms of regular versus uh, fast shipment. And there are two considerations there. Uh, for next year. One consideration is that, um, you know, as a standard procedure, when we introduce new technology, we want to test them more, right? So the 3800 clearly is a significant development in our EUV, uh, in our, in, in our EUV shop. And that means that, you know, at least for a number of tools, we want to do, you know, more testing and more elaborate testing. And therefore, at least for a number of the, the initial tools, we wouldn't fast ship them. Uh, so we would do regular shipments and do the full testing, uh, full testing program. 
And secondly, as I mentioned, it will be dependent on the utilization of our capacity, right? Because fast shipment is a way to get the tool earlier to the customer, but it's also a way to optimize our capacity. So it will be driven by those two considerations, what we're going to see there next year in terms of type of shipment, and that will tell you, you know, whether or not we're going to get any tailwind for EUE revenue as a result of that. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll now go to your next question. And your next question comes from the line of Alexander Duval from Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hi, May. Thanks for the question. Uh, you spoke about a push-out in demand timing for EUV. I wonder to what extent uh, we should think about this as a one-off push-out from 23 to 24, given the customers presumably would still need these tools for their fabs that are still getting built, um, and their customers in turn um, have product aspirations for 25 that you've just mentioned. Or to what extent uh, would you expect some 2024 units to be subsequently pushed into 2025? And then I've got a quick follow-up. Um, good question. Um, we need to realize you need to look at the reasons. Predominantly, the push has had to do with fab readiness. And uh, that was basically driven by construction skills and you think well, well how can how can that be you know you just hire a couple of construction workers and you, you just build a fab well just building a 20 billion dollar fab uh, that's going to do a, a five or a three or a two nanometer product is a, is a skill and people don't seem to realize that when we start building those fabs across the globe now and now everywhere that that skill is uh, has been refined over the last couple of decades in only a few places on the planet and uh, predominantly in Taiwan and in Korea and a bit in China. Now, having to do that now and accelerate this will lead to all kinds of issues because we are still building those fabs in Korea and in, Ty and in Taiwan, but now also in other places on the, on the planet, also in the U.S., for instance. So getting access to the, the requisite skills and skilled workers to keep the construction plan on time is a challenge. That's at least what, what customers tell us, yeah? and this is the main reason. So you can easily look at a delay of a couple of months or a quarter. Now, and of course, well, like I mentioned earlier, we need those 2 nanometer fabs or 3 nanometer fabs in 2025, but that also means we need to resolve uh, in, let's say, an 18-month period, yeah, some of those you know, skills gaps, yeah? And then, and then, you know, but I think, you know, it, it, it might easily be a problem also at the end of next year, but let's see how quickly uh, they can skill up, uh, you know, the construction industry to, to help build those fabs. So that's the, that's the predominant reason for the, for, for, for the you, know, you, know, uh, for the, you know, timing changes or the, or the demand timing, uh, you know, changes. And of, and, of, and, of course, there's also been in this particular year where – there's a few uh, uh, supply chain issues that, that addressed one or two systems, but it was predominantly it was just fab readiness, and for the reasons that I just mentioned. And you know, and I hope uh, they get rescaled quickly, and that at the end of 2024 we don't have those issues. Hey, thanks. And just a quick follow-up: um, we've seen some news flow uh, on demand for leading-edge chips uh, driven by AI applications. Could you just share your latest views on any growth opportunity from uh, AI in 2024, given that obviously 2023 uh, shipment schedules are full? I think you alluded in your video-prepared remarks to that potentially being an incrementally supportive driver of demand. Uh, so, just curious for any thoughts there. 
Yeah, I, th I think that's true, but I think um, we're at the beginning of this, uh, of this, you could say, uh, AI uh, high-power compute wave. So yes, you'll probably see some of that in 2024, but you have to remember that we have some capacity there, which is uh, called the current underutilization. Uh, so yes, we will we will see some of that, but that will be taken up that the particular demand by the installed base. Now, and that will further accelerate, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but that will definitely mean that that will be, you could say, the uh, you know shipped to customer by 2025. So I don't see that, or don't particularly expect that that will be a big driver for uh, you know additional shipments in uh, you know 2024, given the you know utilization situation that we see today. Very clear. Thank you. Thank you. We'll now go to the next question. And your next question comes from the line of Joe Katraki from Wells Fargo. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks for taking the question. Uh, one on, on domestic China domain, you talked about a, a fill rate that was less than 50%. Do you expect to be caught up to that exiting this year, or will you still be trying to kind of fulfill that demand looking into 24? Yeah, I think I think we're 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 still like we said also um, um, in the prepared remarks uh, that that the demand is still more than we can ship. So that also means that we 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 uh, still have a fill rate that's not 100 percent. That's still lower. Than, of course, it's significantly higher than than the significantly lower than 50 percent that we saw in 21 and 22, you know, where we had you know screaming customers so we simply couldn't ship enough and you know China uh, was was um, you know. One of the one of uh, one of the real victims. Now, of course, uh, today with the fabs being ready there, the pedestals being there, you know, anything that doesn't ship to any to, to any other country goes uh, to China. But there's still some, uh, you know, demand that will move into 2024 because we don't have a 100% fill rate today. Got it. Thanks for that. And then this is a follow-up. In the in the recovery of the installed base management business that, that you talked about implied for 4Q23, is that predicated on just logic alone, or, or is there also some expectation that you see some memory recovery embedded in that? Um, you know, I, I think we don't. Yes, you know, somewhere down the line there will be a recovery, yeah, because and that's going to be probably when we go through these inflection points. Uh, in the second half of this year, um, and and then it's and then it's all about the you know slope of the recovery, and this is where we have some uncertainty that we expressed loud and clear, I think, you know, and that's that's the uncertainty that we get from customers because they don't know either. So I think it's a bit too early. I think it's fair to assume that the utilization rates on memory are, are lower than the utilization oh, yeah, rates yeah, on logic, sure. right? Sure. So yeah. there, yeah. it's reasonable to assume that logic would be ahead of the curve yeah, in, in, terms right. of, in terms of upgrades. Yeah, also because, you know, like I said earlier, we, we you could argue when we look at the stats, you could already see an inflection point, but it's like I said, it's very early on, so we just have to see how that continues over the next couple of weeks and months on logic. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks for the color. Thank you. We'll now go to your next question. And your next question comes from the line of CJ Muse from Evercore ISI. Please go ahead. Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks for taking the question. I guess first question for Roger, 
Um, I think you're fairly clear on the call that you, no changes to, to kind of the capacity ad. So, so curious how we should think about uh, OPEX growth into 2024. Yeah, I think uh, the the opex that uh, that we're that we're currently guiding for the year, I think that's a pretty good estimate. I think for for what we see for the rest of the year, um, I, I think uh, in terms of uh, in terms of in terms of next year, I think it will also be a little bit dependent on how we how we further see things uh, develop, um, uh, and that that to a certain extent will at least drive also the the SG&A side of life. On R&D, as you know, we continue to have really good ideas, uh, and uh, on R&D, we typically. Uh, you know, uh, try to, uh, to 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 play this on the on the on the longer term. So I think it, it is realistic to assume that on R&D you will see some some increase, albeit at a slightly lower pace than the very sharp increases that you've seen in the past couple of years. Very helpful. And, and, and then Peter, I guess as a follow-up, um, you know, I, I know that you know you're actively working with the Dutch government, but curious, you know, as to your your kind of thoughts around. Any potential timeline from hearing from maybe more restrictive uh, kind of thoughts out of the U.S. government? Yeah, you know, um, uh, of course we have we have regular discussion with the now um, uh, uh, you know Dutch government, which is which is inactive because of the uh, political situation here. So we are going to prepare for new elections. Um, but I think uh, the um, we just have to wait what comes out of the U.S. Now, you know. Um, but the reason why we said based on what we what our understanding is, and you know, I jokingly said here internally, it wasn't even jokingly, I actually meant it. You know, I've, I've been in this business for quite a long time, and uh, my hunch about what the Dutch were finally going to say in the end was about right. So this is why we informed you in March, and uh, I also have a kind of a hunch on uh, what's going to happen for the rest of the year and with the new rules and. And, and my just gut feel is based on uh, our, what we hear and our understanding. It's not going to have a material in, no impact. But having said that, we don't know exactly what the, what the content of those new regulations is going to be. Um, um, but you know, we'll just have to wait. Um, I think uh, Japan came out. The Dutch came out. Uh, I think the U.S. government will probably come out soon. And they will know for sure whether my hunch or my gut feel was correct. Thank you. All right, we have time for one last question. If you are unable to get through on this call and still have questions, please feel free to contact the ASML Investor Relations Department with your question. Now, operator, may we have the last caller, please? Thank you. We will now take your last question for today. And the question comes from Tammy Q from Berenberg. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you for squeezing me in. So, firstly, Peter, relating to your China exposure, do you have any format of customer concentration, i.e. does one or few customer accounting for more than, let's say, 50% of the demand from China at all? No. I think it's it's the the, the uh, number of customers in China is, uh, is uh, significantly higher uh, than – and I just talk about the spread of the customers – significantly higher than anywhere on the planet. Uh, it has to do with the fact that it all goes back to where Chinese industry – don't, don't talk about the, the semiconductor industry, but industry in general is actually growing. It uh, grows in those areas where, 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 but which are uh, covered by the big megatrends. 
And that means that specific requirements for semiconductors to support those trends um, actually ask for very significant and different applications that put the demand on this wide range of mid-critical to mature semiconductors. And that's a lot. And that also means that you see, that you see customers, semiconductor customers now focusing on certain of those areas. And it means you have many, many customers. Yeah? Uh, and that's so it's, it's, it's pretty widespread, whether it's memory, whether it's logic, a foundry, uh, it's almost everything, but many of them. And, and very much focused on specific parts of the industry. So yeah, it's, it's, it's on the contrary. I mean, it's, 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 it's not uh, specifically focused on one or two customers. It's a, it's a broad base. Okay, thank you. And also, you mentioned that you can actually ship the mid-critical machines to China and still basically allow them to do whatever they want to. So let's say the mainstream you are shipping to China from an immersion perspective in 1980, if you can only ship something like 1970 or older machines, do you think that can allow them to still do what they want to do? Yeah, you have to realize that um, when you ship an immersion tool and just do the math, which is, you know, um, the wavelength of the light over the numerical aperture of the lens, that's, that's, that's 193 over 1 1.3, 1.33, yeah? Um, times a K factor, which is the process factor, which, is, which has an absolute minimum of 0.26, because beyond that you don't have any contrast. Uh, so if you do the math, to, to do it on your calculator, you come to 38 nanometer. So whether it's a 1970 or a, or a 1980, or a 2000, or a 2100, it's 38 nanometer. So how do you get smaller, you know, sizes? That is where you start using double patterning, and that's basically uh, determined by your capabilities of materials, which is deposition and edge. Yeah? So um, it's, of course, the most advanced have one determining factor in that, you know, it's the position with which the tool works. And this is where, if you, if you look at the Dutch regulation, it doesn't mention a type name. It just mentions a technical specification which focuses on the position with which the tool works. That's where the cutoff point is. But in terms of feature size, it's the same. Yeah? But it's really the precision with which you can position the feature size on the wafer. That's where the cutoff point is, and that's determined in the regulation. Yeah? So it's all deposition okay. and edge. Yeah? Okay, thank you. All right, now on behalf of ASML, I'd like to thank you all for joining us today. Operator, if you could formally conclude the call, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes the ASML 2023 Second Quarter Financial Results Conference Call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.